You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. Taking up one's cross, it, it shouldn't be interpreted as acceptance of pain and misery and abuse, but, but rather it's the call to stand up, to resist, and to refuse to let go of life and, and to let go of justice and, and the hope that another world is possible even in a status quo that threatens you uh, for standing up. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 252 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Self-Affirming Nonviolence and the Myth of Redemptive Suffering Part 2. And our feature text is, again, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation or the time of trial, but deliver or liberate us from evil. Now, last week we considered how Jesus's nonviolence was not represented by the cross, but by his temple protest. It was nonviolence in a, another form of resistance. And this week I want to build on that idea of nonviolent resistance and discuss what, what womanist and feminist scholars describe as the myth of redemptive suffering. And I I'm deeply indebted to to Joanne Carlson Brown, uh, the work of Rebecca Parker, Dolores Williams, and and others for helping me see uh, the idea of redemptive suffering in a a new and what I believe is a more just and and healthier and accurate uh, light. Now let's begin with with Jesus, who challenged his own followers to take up their cross and to follow him. In Mark eight thirty four, we find these words. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So what does it mean to take up one's cross? Now, this passage... Without a doubt, it's been used to encourage those who suffer abuse or injustice to simply remain passive, hoping that their their suffering will will convert their abuser or their oppressor. And I want to argue that this is a gross misinterpretation of of taking up one's cross. And again, this is a position that I've I've changed on thanks to to, to womanist scholars speaking out. But understanding this passage within its socio political context actually reveals that Jesus was calling his followers to join the crucified community of resistors in their culture. Jesus was not asking them to simply bear with the the injustice or the abuse and the, the exploitation that was rife in their time. Crucifixion was the way in which the, the status quo made an example of those who, who fought back against injustice, and it sent a message to others that the same would happen to them if if they also resisted. And as I shared two weeks ago from Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, she writes in the book, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, page 171. She writes, in Jesus's first century world, crucifixion was the brutal tool of sociopolitical power. It was reserved for slaves, 
enemy soldiers, and those held in the highest contempt and lowest regard in society. To be crucified was for the most part an indication of how worthless and devalued an individual was in the eyes of established power. At the same time, it indicated how much of a threat that person was believed to pose. Crucifixion was reserved for those who threatened the peace of the day. It was a torturous death that was also meant to send a message, disrupt the Roman order in any way, and this too will happen to you. As there is a lynched class of people, there was without a doubt a crucified class of people. The crucified class in the first century Roman world was the same as the lynched class today. It consisted of those who were castigated and demonized, as well as those who defied the status quo. Crucifixion was a stand-your-ground type of punishment for treasonous offense of violating the Roman rule of law and order. So in Mark, Jesus was challenging his followers to follow his his own example and stand up and resist and, and to protest, just like he was about to do in the courtyard of his own temple state. He was challenging them to resist even in the face of being threatened uh, w- w- with, with, with a cross. And this is important. Jesus was not calling his followers to suffer, but to stand up to injustice, to unjust suffering, to imp- oppression and exploitation. Uh, jo- Joanne Carlson Brown and Rebecca Parker, they they rightly remind us in in uh, in their article for God so love the world. You can find it in the book Christianity Patriarchy and Abuse pages 1 through 30, but they 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 write, it is not the acceptance of suffering that gives life. It is commitment to life that gives life. The question moreover is not am I willing to suffer, but do I desire fully to live. This distinction is subtle and to some specious, but in the end, it makes a great difference in how people interpret and respond to suffering. If you believe that acceptance of suffering gives life, then your resources for confronting perpetrators of violence and abuse will be numbed. So circles that teach nonviolence sometimes also teach that if we we passively endure suffering, um, they teach that we'll win in the end. And with all the enormous good that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. accomplished, he also allowed his teaching of nonviolence to to drift into the territory of teaching uh, redemptive suffering. Dr. King saw suffering as, quote-unquote, a most creative and powerful social force. The nonviolent say that suffering becomes a powerful social force when you willingly accept that violence on yourself so that self-suffering stands at the center of the nonviolent movement and the individuals involved are able to suffer in a creative manner, feeling that unearned suffering is redemptive and that suffering may serve to transform the social situation. So Dolores Williams, uh, Joan Carlson Brown, Rebecca Parker, they all respond to King's teachings on on passive endurance of suffering, stating that the the problem is that it asks people to, to suffer 
for the sake of, of helping evildoers see their, their evil ways. It puts concern for, for evildoers ahead of concern for the victims of evil, and it, it makes the victims the servants of, of the evildoer's salvation. And you can find more on this in Brown and Parker, uh, For God So Loved the World, uh, and again on page 20 of um, Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse. You can, you can find more on this in Dolores S. Williams' Sisters in the Wilderness, uh, The Challenge of Woman as God Talk on page 161. In the foreword of Sisters in the Wilderness, Katie Cannon, she sternly writes that theologians need to think seriously about the real-life consequences of redemptive suffering. God talk that equates the acceptance of pain, misery, and abuse as the way for true believers to live as authentic Christian disciples. Those who spew such false teachings and warp preaching must cease and desist. So taking up one's cross... It shouldn't be interpreted as acceptance of pain and misery and abuse, but but rather it's the call to stand up, to resist, and to refuse to let go of life and, and to let go of justice and, and the hope that another world is possible even in a status quo that threatens you uh, for standing up. So let's, let's plug this understanding back into our passage in Mark and let, let's see if it works. In Mark 8, 34, then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and think of it this way, being willing to resist even if you're being threatened with a cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life and, 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 and interpret that as remaining quiet or passive or keeping their head down, they will lose it. But whoever loses their life, in other words, whoever is willing to, to stand up against injustice, even if there are consequences for doing so, for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it if you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Can any What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with his holy angels. Now, the one phrase that kicks me in the gut every time I read it in this passage is what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and, and yet forfeit? fit their soul. And as a person of immense privilege in this culture, this question hits home for me. What does it profit me if I gain the whole world by looking the other way? If in so doing, I lose my soul, I lose my humanity. If I forfeit my soul, I, I, I too become a kind of, of dehumanized uh, being as I go along with the dehumanization of, of the vulnerable among us. The Jesus story includes a Roman cross, and we cannot ignore that. Uh, that's one of the few historical provable elements of the story. Jesus was executed on a Roman cross, but we must be careful not to glorify the cross. As, as Kelly Brown Douglas argues, um, again, this is Stand Your Ground, page 177, the cross reflects the lengths that unscrupulous power will go to sustain itself. It is power's last stand. It is the extinction side of the manifest destiny ultimatum. Be assimilated or become extinct. The cross reflects power's refusal to give up its grip on the lives of others. It is the refusal of power to retreat. Essentially, the cross represents the height of humanity's inhumanity. It shows the extent to which humans defile and disrespect other human bodies. It represents an absolute disregard for life. 
life. It reveals human beings' extraordinary capacity for evil. So the cross reveals the violence inherent in the system. And yet the focus need not be on the fact that Jesus was executed. It should be on the fact that he resisted in the face of a threat. And yet the focus need not be on the fact that Jesus was executed. It should be on the fact that he resisted in the face of a threatening or a threatened empire that dealt uh, him execution on a cross. The teachings of uh, of this Jesus, the, these teachings call us to resist in the face of threats even too. So speaking of what this means specifically for black women, Dolores Williams, I think, hits the nail on the head when she writes in The Challenge of, of Womanist, uh, God Talk, page 132, Sisters in the Wilderness. She writes, Jesus came for life to show humans a perfect vision of ministerial relation that humans had very little knowledge of. As Christians, black women cannot forget the, the, the cross, but neither can they glorify it. To do so is to glorify suffering and to render their exploitation sacred. To do so is to glorify the sin of defilement. So what do we do uh, with our, our featured text this week? Jesus' model prayer where he says, lead us not into temptation or the time of trial. Trial, uh, but deliver deliver or liberate us from from evil. That's Matthew six thirteen. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, well, Matthew's gospel uses the same phrase in Matthew twenty six forty one. Stay awake and pray that you not come into the time of trial. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, so, what does it mean to, to, to what is that time of trial or that t- uh, temptation? I believe that for the disciples. It was to run away that night of Jesus' arrest. It was to abandon him. When threatened with a cross, the temptation was to hide. The the temptation the disciples faced was to remain passive when threatened with a cross as opposed to standing up and and joining the ranks of of the crucified community the way Jesus did. And to be sure, there is at least one disciple who who did choose to resist. But but please notice the form that his resistance took. In Matthew 26, 51 through 52, it says, With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And in Luke's version, in Luke 22, uh, 35 through 52, that whole section, Jesus had told them just moments earlier to go and buy swords. Yet, yet Jesus here rebukes Peter for thinking that they were to be used uh, for violence. Whatever their use was, uh, whatever reason Jesus had for telling them to go buy a sword, it becomes obvious that it wasn't for them to, to use them. When Jesus's followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. Jesus taught resistance, absolutely, but it was not, it was nonviolent resistance, and we covered that last week. It, it was a path of, uh, when it was not a path of self-sacrifice, uh, especially for those whose self was already being sacrificed in their society. It was a means to stand up and claim their sacred dignity. Jesus's nonviolence was, was not only non-cooperative and disruptive, disruptive, but but 
it was also so self-affirming. Both Peter uh, and his fellow disciples, they failed their temptations that night in the story. Peter gave into the temptation to rely on violence, and the rest gave in the, into the temptation to, to passively run away. Jesus chose a different path. He refused to let go of life, even when threatened with death. And he, he chose to keep gripping the hope of, of liberation for, for all. Matthew 6.13, lead us not into temptation or the time of trial, but deliver or liberate us from evil. Heart group application this week. This week, I want you to, I want to assign some homework for you. I'd like you to listen to a series on our website called Nonviolence and the Cross. And then number two, after you've listened to those presentations, I want you to discuss with your group three things that you take away from the series that are that are meaningful. Number three, what difference does it make to see Jesus's teachings as salvific rather than than just his death? And and could his this change uh, the way you define salvation? What what relevance to liberation here and now uh, do you find in this way of viewing Jesus's life? And discuss that with with your group. And then number four, I also want to ask you to keep calling your representatives and voicing your objection to the atrocities that are happening on our southern border here in the. United States related to, to immigration and those seeking refugee status from, from the atrocities that they face in the areas that they're fleeing from. What's being touted this week as a solution to, to separating families of asylum seekers, it, it now leads to another grave injustice of imprisoning uh, children. So, so keep speaking out. I'm so glad you checked in with us this week. Wherever you are presently, choose love, choose survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, transformation. Keep holding on to life. A Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.